This show is brought to you by listeners and viewers like you. Our TeslaOwnersOnline.com community, EvanX.com Tesla Accessories, and our Patreon supporters at Patreon.com slash TeslaOwnersOnline. Ian looks like he's wearing overalls. It's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, well, I thought we would start and do a little bit of show and tell. How are you, uh, how are you guys doing? I know we haven't done a podcast in a couple of weeks. I mean, news has been a little slow, but uh, that's why we pick it up now and then. I sent Elon a letter uh, to be on the list to go to Mars, but uh, so far he hasn't responded. So <laughs> I think he's not going to take my calls. <clears throat> I'm uh, I'm in teaser mode this evening. I'm going to be flaunting uh, a few little pieces of hardware that will tease an upcoming project, but I'm not going to tell anyone what it is. So if you're listening to the podcast, you're going to have to go on YouTube and see what this is all about. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Hey, I just got my, I mean, I'm sporting my new uh, Starman SpaceX uh, hoodie today. I just got it in the mail. I think it's pretty cool. That's that's an awesome piece. Isn't that neat? It says, yeah. uh, well, it says SpaceX yeah. on this side. It's dye sublimated, so it's not, you know, full print. Hey, look, and, and you can put, you know, your country and you get your name printed on the side too, including mm-hmm. the price. Isn't that pretty cool? It's Astro Trevor. Yes, Astro Trevor. I'm going to put my patches now, If you're watching on. this on YouTube, you're going to see that it's actually a little bit oversized for Trevor. It's on purpose because if you go to space, there's no gravity. So you actually expand, you get bigger. So you got room to fill it out. I, so. I ordered a large and, you know, kind of think of it. I should have ordered a small. Oh, well, not small, but medium. But oh, well, it is what it is. <laughs> The conversion rate from Canada to the U.S. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's that it's that whole metric, you know, that whole metric imperial thing. <laughs> Crazy. Well, uh, I want to welcome everybody back to the show. I know it's been a little while, but, uh, you know, that's what happens when you're in summer and COVID and not as much Tesla news and stuff. So we've gone to a basically it's well, pretty, summer. Yeah, every other week every other week to do okay. a podcast right now uh, until things really uh, pick up again and then we can go back to maybe weekly or something but anyways we do have some incredible tesla stuff to talk about hey how about that stock price boys <laughs> oh my god isn't it crazy i mean talk about going into orbit holy smokes yeah i mean if it's, a, if it's any uh consolation my mortgage payment is less than the price of a tesla stock mm-hmm. so most people's mortgage payment is yeah. less than the price of one share. Well, for now, when is it? Is it tomorrow that it splits? I think so, right? yes. the 28th? Yeah. Well, so I've been looking into this because a lot of people on Twitter have been asking me. Um, officially, it split on the 21st. That's the date of record. Uh, but it doesn't go into effect until the end of the trading day Friday. So okay. a lot of people were confused about, well, you know, when's the split actually happen? So anyways, it um, doesn't matter if you have five shares or you have one share, you get you get five right. and then the price will get adjusted. So that'll resume on Monday. So the price will get adjusted at that point. And I know a lot of people were on Twitter and they were like watching the stock price today. If I divide it by five, it's like, it's 420, it's 420. Everybody's like 420. Yeah. That, yeah. Joke, that joke's getting a little old as far as I'm concerned, but maybe I'm just old. Everybody was accusing me of being old today, including Andy. Get and off Andy. my lawn. Yes, exactly. That's what I always say. That's my response to everything. Get off my lawn. Anyway, uh, let's jump into this. we got some good stories to talk about. First one I want to start off the evening with, um, you know, it's been a lot of talk about about the Berlin Gigafactory. Well, there's a group of people now down in Texas who are flying their drones over. So I want to say thank you to um, the guys over there. And uh, I'm going to bring this up for those of you who are on YouTube. You can watch this. The video is courtesy of our friend here, uh, Joe Techmeyer. And uh, 
man alive, are they really clearing this uh, this land here? I'm not going to show the whole video and stuff because obviously my guests here can't see it, but those of you on Twitter can actually watch it. So he's been flying his drone over, and uh, they're busy uh, clearing up the land in uh, Texas there, just outside of uh, Austin. And it uh, looks like they've got some pile drivers out there too, so they're already being uh, cutting holes and drilling holes for the pile drivers. So anyways, I'll put a link in the video description. You guys can go check it out. But really impressive. They're uh, they're making progress here. They, they, don't, uh, they don't fool around. They move quite fast. So, um, yeah, it's looking good. And Berlin, of course, is, is progressing. It's, uh, there's a great YouTube. There's actually about five different teams in Berlin that are flying drones almost on a daily basis over there. And I just I go wow. on YouTube and I just watch what kind of progress they've been doing. So, yeah, things are progressing quite nicely. If you're into SpaceX, uh, you should go and look at uh, NASA Spaceflight. They have a fantastic YouTube channel as well. Daily basis, they post sometimes two, sometimes three videos of progress they're doing in Boca Chica on these rockets that they're building. So, um, anyway, serial number six is on the pad. And uh, getting ready to launch that puppy again, so kind of fun. All right, so that's our uh, progress update. Um, the next story we have is uh, courtesy of our friends at Tesserati. It looks like Tesla was the potential um, <laughs> victim of a cyber attack. Now you got to read the story in its entirety. I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here what happened. But anyways, it really reads like a spy novel. So anyways, apparently there was. Um, uh, some Russian operatives uh, that had approached a Russian-speaking non-U.S. citizen at the Gigafactory, and they approached him round about on July 16th, and uh, they were asking him to to participate so they could plant some malware on Tesla's system to be able to take over their systems and ask for a ransom. So this guy was apparently offered up to a million dollars. Actually, it was initially $500,000, and then they raised it to a million dollars. But um, maybe his stock prices is worth more than what they were offering. But uh, <laughs> anyways, he went back to uh, Tesla's cybersecurity team and uh, alerted them to, the, to uh, what was going on. They got, the, the FBI got involved. And, uh, yeah, so the guy was arrested, and the uh, whole plan was uh, thwarted. So, anyways, they were looking for somewhere in the vicinity. Well, apparently they had um, asked another company, and they were um, getting about 4 to $4.5 million in terms of ransom. So they were looking at doing something like this uh, on Tesla's part. So they were looking for, you know, inside information, um, all that kind of stuff. So, um <laughs> This is crazy. I mean, this is... Uh, anyways, this all comes... Uh, you know, this is from our friends at Tesserati. Did you guys get a chance to read this? I did. And I got to tell you, it's not surprising. <laughs> the The thing the thing that I found... There were, there were really two takeaways I had from the article. Um, one is, in 2020, nothing surprising me about anything Rush is <sighs> doing. Right? Um, so I'll, I'll leave it at that because it's not a political thing. Just, we just know Russia likes to, you know, find their way into hacking stuff. Uh, but number two, it's really, really good for the employee uh, to results to the authorities and contact them and say, hey, listen, this is what I suspect is happening um, to essentially become, you know, an informant, uh, to have a sting operation to kind of get the, uh, the culprits who are trying to, um, you know, basically hijack Tesla's uh, IT system. Um, you know, it's interesting because the the person who helped them was also a Russian non-U.S. citizen, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is really kind of a crucial part of the story. Um, one, because Tesla hired them, which is fantastic. Uh, but number two, the person you know did did, did the, the right thing by right thing. by going forward and saying, "Hey, I, this there's some suspicious activity that I've been asked to do." Because um, we've known in the past of some former Tesla employees, and we say former because at one point they weren't former. <laughs> <laughs> but they became former employees because they did some shady, you know, SHIT. 
uh, that they shouldn't have done that, you know, resulted in them stealing information. And, and, yeah, and that case and we is still know under litigation, too. And that yeah, was actually yeah. and that was at the Nevada employee, Gigafactory so. as well. Yeah, he was an employee. So, there I, too, so. I don't it's not going to surprise me if just over time we continue hearing stories like this of various parties trying to intercept Tesla employees to get information from them, uh, whether there's significant ransom involved or not. Uh, but I think the the more prosperous Tesla becomes, the more influential they become, uh, the more likely these stories will happen, whether we know about them or not. Well, corporate, corporate espionage is a real thing. It happens all the oh, yeah. time. Um, I mean, it happened to uh, Apple a number of years ago when they had the iPhone 4. It was left over in a bar. Someone had picked mm -hmm. up the phone and tried to sell it back to Tesla and demanded uh, basically a ransom for these guys. And Steve Jobs wouldn't have anything to do that. Anyways, that's another story for another day. This is not an Apple podcast, but um, this kind of stuff happens <clears throat> and uh, will continue to happen. Um, it's just interesting. We haven't heard about these kind of stories in a little while and hearing, you know, and all of a sudden we see, uh, you know, Tesla getting embroiled in this kind of thing. I, I find it's interesting that they were just looking for ransomware and not actually trying to, I mean, if they got a hold of the data, um, obviously they would try and, you know, perhaps sell that to competitors and stuff because that can be lucrative as well. I mean, that's happened before. There were some people that uh, were working at Tesla doing the autopilot and were caught you know, with uh, corporate information on the personal laptop as, you know, when they when they left. And, of course, it's gotten in the hands of various other companies. We won't name those companies before um, right well, now, but, but, you know. I was going to say, but DDoS attacks are, are not anything new. And we've been, you know, there's been no. DDoS attacks in the past. And most recently, Garmin had a, a very large uh, DDoS attack that was very public. And, um, you know, myself, I'm a Garmin user, and, and all of a sudden, like, nothing's capturing you can't get into your account can't do anything um and you know there were concerns of when they when those ransomware attacks happen it's if you want to basically unlock the code you're gonna have to pay us out what we're asking mm -hmm. for um so it's you know I, I think as more and more technology companies are out there um there's an, enough hackers who are really really smart that know how to get into these systems uh and it, it just takes you know a couple of bits of code next thing you know it, it's it's a massive issue so um I know, I know there's a story of, um, I'm not sure if we're going to get to it today or not, but there's a story of uh, somebody who, a good guy, a good hacker was able to hack into Tesla's resources uh, so that he had access to all the cars. Um, but again, yeah. that was intentional. That was actually a kind of a, a test for Tesla. But again, those things can happen. And, that, and that's the stuff that, uh, you know, it's, it's good that people like this come forward and say, hey, there's, yeah. there's something amiss here. Yep. Hey, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, it happened to us at Fasco three years ago. Really? Oh, Oh yeah, we we got shut down. It was like on a midnight on a Friday, and our thank God we have a really crack IT team. They got in there, they got all over it. We had major backups. They managed to get it back up and running by Monday morning without having to pay a dime. But yeah, the threat is very very real. Yeah, oh yeah, and that's that's they wanted something like that. It was like five hundred thousand dollars or a million bucks or something like that to get us back up and running. I was like, it's amazing, you know. Companies have to deal with not only physical security these days, but yeah. you know. Cybersecurity now, Cyber. you know, yeah. it's an extra, just yet another expense everybody has to pay for. So, anyway, um, we got some more stories going on here. Uh, the next one I want to talk about is 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 pretty cool in my in in my mind, and we've talked about this many times before because the writing has been on the wall. We've talked about 
you know, the process of Tesla moving away from Chrome on the Model Y. Well, and I've said this many times before, although I said it that the S and the X, when they were going to get a refresh, would certainly see the Chrome. Well, lo and behold, it looks like Chrome is probably going to be going away on the Model 3, at least in China. But I will put a stake in the ground here saying that it will happen in North America as well. This article comes to us courtesy of the guys at Tasmanian. Thank you very much. Um, based on a recent document filed by Tesla, uh, Tesla China to the Ministry of Infra um, uh, Ministry of Industry and Information Technology. The Model 3 from Giga, uh, Gigafactory Shanghai looks like will come with a complete Chrome delete, although you can't really call it a Chrome delete if there's no Chrome to begin with. Anyways, I'm going to call it black trim at this point. Um, I've said this many times before. Chrome is very much a fashion thing. It comes and goes, like in the 50s and the 60s, it was all the rage, and then it went away in the 80s and the 90s, came back during the 2000s, and now we're seeing the Germans going back to black trim. Tesla's doing it now in the Model Y. And uh, as I said before, I expected this to happen when the S and the X get a refresh. Well, lo and behold, here we are with the three. So um, we'll talk about this here. Um, as we saw back a few months ago that uh, Tesla in China moved to USB-C ports on the Model 3, and of course Tesla, I mean, we said this, that it was just a matter of time before they did that to the North American ones. Sure enough, they did that during the uh, factory shutdown, the COVID in Fremont. So I would suspect won't be too much longer, probably a um, matter of, probably by the end of the year, we should see this happen on the Model 3. So, um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Black trim, chrome trim? I know it's a very divisive thing. It's very much like color. Right? <laughs> I'm all in on the black trim. I love it. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, I've been sort of procrastinating about doing mine, especially with the, the horrible winters we have here when you're trying to scrape your windows and all the stuff that it goes through. It just, I worry about it not being durable and having to constantly touch it up and fix it, you know, when you, when you go with the optional kits. But if they offered black trim, you know, like for purchase as a replacement part, uh, I would probably dive in. I mean, it's. I imagine it's going to be pretty pricey, but um, that's, you know, I'm planning to keep the car a long time, and if mm -hmm. it's, like, not completely outrageous, I would actually buy the trim as a replacement part. Ooh, I'd be all into it. Right works really what if, expensive. What if the you know, black trim shows marks more easily? Uh, typically, it doesn't. I've had cars with black trim, and I've never had a problem with it. When it's done with the factory, usually it's, like, an anodized coating or something like that. It tends to be very durable. Um, it's the, uh, you know, it's, it's the vinyl, like it's the wrap stuff that, that you have to be very, very careful with, you mm -hmm. know, and in, in a warmer climate, I don't really see it being a problem, but up here, just with the temperature changes and the ice buildup and all that nonsense, it really wreaks havoc on it. Well, I will say this, you, cause you mentioned about, um, you know, the black trim, <clears throat> I know uh, a number of model Y owners who have gone through commercial car washes, if you will. And the uh, soaps are very caustic these days, and they've been getting stains on their black trim. Now, mm -hmm. they've had to go, yeah, some people have actually had to do warranty work on it. Anyways, as it turns out, you just need a powerful cleaner to take it off. But if you have the black trim, at least for now, I would I would actually be very careful about going through any kind of public uh, car wash at this point because of that. Like, wash it at home. But, yeah, I've, I, unfortunately, I don't have any pictures right now, but the, they're all over the place. People have had these stains on their black trim. So I'd be cautious about that. I mean, a lot of people know historically with me that I've been against Chrome Delete, although I have it now in my car and I actually really do like it. And I'll be honest with you, I was never against the black look. I just I just always took offense to the word Chrome Delete. I really hate that term. So that's why I got to remind myself to keep calling it 
black, black trim. trim black trim it's black trim it's not it's not you're not deleting any chrome if there's no chrome there to begin with you're not deleting chrome you're adding black yeah exactly so anyways it's it's very much a fashion thing i mean it started with the germans here uh, you know a number of years ago they've they, you know if you look at any new cars i mean i just drove a, a porsche taycan not a lick of chrome on that car so it's it's out of fashion now it's moving away so i i can see you know tesla's obviously going in that direction it started with the roadster the roadster doesn't have any even though it's not in production doesn't have any chrome cybertruck doesn't have any chrome model y doesn't have any chrome it's just a matter of time for the other cars get it too i mean it's it's just nice yep. to see that them adjusting um speaking of which unfortunately i don't have any pictures here because i forgot all about it but we need to talk about these. These uh, there's a couple of rumors that have been circulating about the Model Three. First of all, um, sometime in I think it was this month, uh, Tesla changed the shape of the front trunk liner, the tub, if you will, in the front of the Model Three. Um, the most, the, the biggest change to it is the the back part of it, um, where the grocery hooks used to be, because the new cars don't have the grocery hooks anymore but anyways I got it's, them. it's yeah i do too anyways yeah. it's a little thicker and uh scuttlebutt going around was that that was you know the only reason you're going to make that change at the back to give yourself some more room uh would be to accommodate the heat pump um you know so if you look at the um if you had a chance to look at a model y the uh, trunk area and that that rear section is quite a bit thicker uh, the heat pump takes up a little bit more room it's not just the heat pump it's the whole assembly of the octa valve and everything else like that so when i saw those pictures i thought aha we're getting ready for a possible switchover now the people who have those cars have reported you know some of them taking the front trunk out and you know there's no heat pump at this point it doesn't mean they, they won't put it in but the only reason you would change something like that is to make room for something because let's be honest if i mean ian and i have both taken the front trunk out of our car things are very well packaged in there they don't need any extra room for anything else i can't think of anything that would warrant that kind of change yeah it, it, it makes complete sense um it's strange that they did the running change on the liner that far ahead but i mean we don't know right it could be coming in the next month or two and it just yeah. so happened that you know they were renegotiating with the supplier there's a million reasons why it was convenient to do it now and being that it gives them more room under the liner then there's no there's no downside for them doing it now. Mm -hmm. So the other two uh, uh, changes that we saw, and unfortunately I don't have any pictures here, was the possibility of the Model 3 getting a uh, power liftgate or trunk. Um, there was a picture circulating of the actual um, strut. So those of us who have the power trunk on our car know how it operates. You know, you got to run the cable inside. But this one actually had a rubber boot that actually went into the body like it was actually meant to be that way. Not to say that people can't drill a hole in their car and actually put a boot in there, but this looked totally OEM to me. So it hasn't been confirmed yet. And uh, what was the other change? So the front trunk? Mm -hmm. Tail lights? We had the Model Y tail light. Well, the Model Y, yeah, the Model Y taillight has changed. The blinkers have switched to amber from red, and that was a running change. Early Model uh, Ys had red, and now they switch to amber. I mean, come see, come see, whatever it happens to be. Oh, what was the other thing about the Model Three? Son of a gun! I will, I will I say this. I, I know, I know. In our, in our, so there's, um, if you follow the show enough, we have a number of friends of the show. We call them. Um, and among them is uh, Michael Bodner and a few others. And we've had some talks about what to do with these new cars are coming out that may have 
uh, some new parts to them. And my, my feeling has always been that these that Tesla is notorious for their minor updates to vehicles. They don't wait like other dealerships do, which is we're going to wait a model year before introducing some new feature. Um, you know, Tesla could do it where they build X number of cars one week and then the next week, congratulations, we got a new supplier of the drum or, you know, some other component to the vehicle. Headlights. And and I and I kind of have a mindset that if you're adding stuff to the Model 3, there's a couple things that make me think. Number one is you're adding, if you're, let's say, for example, you have a power lift. The goal of the Model 3 was to streamline wiring, to have less wiring than Model S and X. It'd be kind of weird that they're now considering adding a component to just add more wiring to the car than what they really wanted to do in the first place when they wanted to make it a very simple build, just as, as simple as possible, have a lot less mileage of wiring. Um, it'd be strange to now go, yeah, we're going to add some things that sort of add the complexity bit of the of the the build. But number two, I also feel like, aren't you going to add to the cost of the car? Like, isn't the goal to make it cheaper, not more expensive by adding some of these features? Um, so unless they're going to make them default and, and the price isn't changing, I would imagine that either it's an option like a, like a power package option, or they're literally going to make it a standard feature, but then the cost of the vehicle is going to go up to offset the the implementation of it. So yeah. I, I just, I don't see the need to do this. I mean, it's, I know some people think it's great. Um, personally, I don't use my trunk that often to worry about having a power lift gate. <laughs> um, but for some people they do. And, you know, I know there's certainly some cheap aftermarket options out there, hint, hint, but uh, you know, it's to each their own. I, like, I mean, listen, there are a lot of people who maybe ADA compliant would love to have it because it helps to really ease uh, getting things in and out. But overall, like, I, it just it just seems like a, I don't know why they would do it at this stage of the game. I just don't understand Well, why. I have it on mine. And let me tell you, once you have it, you can't unhave it. It's it's nice to have. <laughs> By the way, I did find the pictures. These are courtesy of our friends at uh, Drive uh, Drive Tesla Canada. Uh, so here's a picture of the uh, of the of the the um, the actuator, sorry, tongue-tied there for a second. So you can see here sorry, at the bottom that. right, if you're looking at it on the YouTube channel, you'll see here there's a rubber boot that goes into the body of the car. So unless somebody's really, really handy with uh, wiring and stuff, that's not something you're going to do. Uh, the other change I should mention, and here's the picture of it, there's been a change to the headlight. So it looks like they've added a projector in the corner. Now, again, these pictures are just speculation at this point. We still don't have 100% confirmation that that's a running change. Um, I'm going to be getting a hold of a... August build Model 3 fairly soon, probably first half of September, something like that. So if there's any changes, I'll, uh, I'll report back. So Tesla's not setting still. We're going to see some changes on the Model 3. But uh, once again, this, this chrome trim or black trim, as I like to call it, is uh, definitely coming to Model 3 in due time. So it's looking good on that front. All right, uh, let's go on to Twitter. Elon's been... By the way, just as a personal point, I'll be very quick on this. I was going to say really quickly, I hate leaks. <laughs> I hate leaks. Apple, Tesla, I don't care what it is. It could be, you know, like NFL schedules. It doesn't matter. I hate leaks. Everyone's like, got to get the news first. Like, let it come out when it comes yeah, out. Know, What's I the know. harm in waiting? I know. Plus, I, it's got to get under Elon's skin that some of the stuff is leaking. It's, well, it's yeah, got it to irk him <laughs> that stuff is getting out. He hates that. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, the problem with it is, it's like it, 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 it puts a pause button on the sales, right? It was like, oh, I want to wait for the car that's got the heat bump or the, you know, the power or that's, whatever. So that's true. Obviously. You don't want to Osborne your particular right. uh, your, your exactly. products. And those of you who are too young to know what Osborne, Google it. You'll but know. also, I wouldn't <laughs> want to be the first owner. We, we know that sometimes there's issues with the first batch off the line. So, 
you know, but if there's, look, if these, if these are minor aesthetic changes, okay, I get it. But is it worth like trading in your cars for this? I mean, come yeah, on. Some people, different, shows, different folks. All right, let's go to Twitter. Elon's been busy on Twitter. Yeah. First thing is uh, responding to our friend, uh, Tim Dodd, the everyday astronaut. Um, Tim was asking about what, uh, what the next big thing about FSD was going to be. Elon took to Twitter to respond and say, the FSD improvement will come as a quantum leak because it's a fundamental architectural rewrite, not an incremental tweak. I drive the bleeding edge alpha build in my car personally, almost at zero interventions between work and home, limited public release in six to ten weeks. Um... Yeah, FSD. It's been a long time coming. Uh, we've been seeing small little upgrades here and there, and it looks like a lot of the big stuff, according to what Elon is saying now, is hinging on this uh, this rewrite that they've been working on for quite some time now. Um, my understanding is that the rewrite is to optimize the code mostly for the new Hardware 3 computers, which is why Tesla started shipping them on the cars, but weren't really pressing too hard to upgrade the cars because, I mean, if, unless you have the code that's really optimized to take advantage of it and your software is not ready and the product is not ready, what's the rush? And I know a lot of people are like, oh, i got to get my Hardware 3, but at the end of the day, so it gives you cones, right? Not much more than that at this point. So anyways, um, I'm still tempering my expectations as far as FSD is concerned. Um, I'll believe it when I see it. Oh, by the way, when it goes to limited public release, they're talking about early access people. So don't expect to see this uh, for a little while. And it'll be buggy. Uh, the other scuttlebutt that's going around is that it uh, looks like the, the big one that will be happening is um, turns on in intersections. And... Uh, what was the other one? Lane changes on city streets. So those are two potential ones that are coming in the uh, in the next big update. So when that will be, I don't know. So uh, let's move on here. Um, kind of talking about that again. Another tweet from Elon here. Let me bring it up for those of you on YouTube. Um, someone was asking him when we will see automated intersection turns. Ballpark it for us. Elon replies, it's almost working reliably. <laughs> I like that. A little caveat, almost working reliably. <laughs> Remember, Elon's working the ble the bleeding edge, right? He has the latest builds. Anytime they have a new build, uh, his car gets it automatically. So what Elon thinks is good and what other people thinks is good might be two different things. We'll see. Uh, let's see here. Some more tweets from Elon. Um, Ian, this one's right up your alley because um, someone was asking Elon <clears throat> about uh, the Roadster lug nuts. And uh, mm -hmm. I'll just bring up the tweet here because people were talking about this. Um, Elon basically responded, see, the new Roadster wheels will only have one lug nut. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, the Roadster, and I have some pictures here, I'll bring it up. There you go. So there's a picture of the one lug nut on the Roadster. Now, this is common on race cars, F1s, that type of thing, because they need to be able to change the wheels very quickly. And you don't want to be going, voot, 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 voot. you can just do it once. It takes a very big torque wrench to do this kind. I've got mm -hmm. another picture here. For those of you watching on YouTube, you can see these fantastic pictures taken by my friend Steve Canesso at the uh, uh, Tesla um, shareholders meeting last year. Uh, very nice close-up pictures of the uh, Roadster wheels. All right, let's talk about this. Ian? It makes sense to put this on this car. Well, yeah, I mean, it gives it a, um, you know, in, in the supercar, hypercar realm, this is definite street cred for one thing. And I find a lot of this stuff is done for cred. Uh, probably the biggest user 
right now would be Porsche on all of their top of the line 911 models for many, many years. When we talk about the GT3, GT3 RS, uh, these have been optional setups where you can get it. It's called center lock, basically, where center you have lock. the one. Good to know. Um, and I mean, this goes back to the 1950s, right? When you had knockoff wire wheels on on British and Italian sports cars. There's nothing new about it. It's just they've kind of taken it next level. And I, there's a minor weight savings because of the way you can design the center of the wheel. You can, you, you know, especially because these are usually forged wheels. So there's some economies in terms of making the center. It's pretty esoteric, though. It's like not yeah. a huge difference. But hey. It certainly looks baller, man. There's no question about it. It's like, hey, let's pick it out. Formula One car. Need a big, big, uh, a new wrench. Yeah. And a, you're going to need like a five foot wrench, two men and a boy is what you're going to need. <laughs> the, you need to start a business. It's two men and a boy's uh, tire, tire chain service, right? Yeah. No, no, no joke. Um, the torque specs for those are generally around 500 foot pounds. Oh. Yeah. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. So a really long, one, long bar. One long bar mm -hmm. and an That's expensive it. torque wrench. Yes, yes, but be prepared <laughs> to drop around eight hundred or a thousand bucks for the. No, for no, good. you're going to spend the money, and I'm going to come to you, and you're going to change oh. the wheels for me. That's how it works. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, I'm right. clear on this, of course. <laughs> I, I need to buy another expensive tool. I don't have enough of them. <laughs> Ian and I are all about tools. So you, yeah. uh, I have carpentry tools. Ian has car tools. And that's basically tools, how it tools works. Enjoy. I am a sucker for buying expensive, trinkety things for my car. Like, that, And I'm just a tool. So <gasps> Look at that. That's that a pretty? Sasha Anis piece from Mountain Pass is, Performance, isn't, yes, it? isn't it? Isn't it stunning in his in its blue anodized custom machine glory? Right, this gotta, is okay. So for those yes, of you watching on YouTube, yeah. you need to understand. Ian's holding up this wonderful piece of machined aluminum that's anodized blue, and it looks like a, you know a miniature bicycle frame. Please explain what you're holding, Ian. Looks like a part off a of Falcon Nine, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. That's except it would be titanium, not aluminum. Of course. Uh, yeah, this is a brake booster bracket. And uh, one of the things that uh, Mr. Annis at, Mount, at Mountain Pass Performance has discovered is when you're really wailing on the brakes, you actually, there's a certain amount of flex in the firewall. It's not something you would ever notice in the street because, you know, the brake system on the car is very well engineered for street use. But when you're really pushing the system to the limit, you can actually flex the firewall. And that sort of takes away from the precision feel of the brakes. So what this thing does is it ties to the brake booster, the run end, and then into the uh, the frame of the car at the other end. And it reinforces it. And it, it dramatically firms up the pedal feel in the car. So that's going to be one of the next things going in and to go with that of course i got the matching color mountain pass performance stainless steel brake oh, i need those isn't that pretty yeah color a. that's Ooh. the number one upgrade i'd like to do to my cars put stainless yeah. steel lines on the car because when i'm so on the track i mean they fade pretty quickly well, that's not going to help you for fade. Again, this stuff is is to take care of the feel. In other words, yeah. to make the brake pedal feel firmer and more controllable. What's going to improve your fade is pads and fluid, and that's the All next three. stuff. That's yeah, that's there's more UPS and uh, and and pure later boxes. Well, coming, that, so. I mean, there's a reason Tesla sells the track package that includes yeah. the wheels and everything. Except they didn't. I mean, there's no stainless steel lines in that package, which I think is. I mean, they give you the brakes, uh, the brake pads. They give you the better fluid, the race fluid, which is yeah. really expensive. You were telling me, right? Well, it depends on where you get it from. I mean, oh. um, the stuff I'm using for this project is going to be Castrol SRF. It's $125 Canadian a liter. <laughs> and I thought it's ink absurd. was expensive. <laughs> <laughs> it's completely insane. But uh, if you're lazy and you only want to change it once a year, 
and still go to the track, then that's that's the one that's preferred. But the one from Tesla, I, it sounds like it's pretty good. It, I've, I've heard stories from people who have the track mm-hmm. fluid, they're the Tesla track pads, mm-hmm. and they're working very nicely. I'm going a different route, and that's all I'm going to say for now. Okay. We'll save that for another day. Let's move on here. Some more uh, tweets from Elon. This one will make our friend Raj really happy because he's been asking for it for a long time. And it has to do with two-factor authentication. Let me bring up the tweet here. Um, someone was asking Elon about the status of two-factor authentication. Now, for those of you who don't know what two-factor authentication is, say that five times fast, uh, you know these days when you log into a site and it says, please supply your phone number so that the next time you log in, we can send you an authentication code so that if somebody was to break into your account and they get your password, at least they can't get the, act- the second part, which is the code, which is your phone, because they would have to clone your phone. Anyways, Elon saying that, sorry, this is embarrassingly late. Two-factor authentication via SMS or Authenticator app is going through final validation right now so all this is going to do at the end of the day is make your tesla account much more secure now hopefully they will spread that peanut butter a little thicker around other services in the tesla maybe even spreading that to the cars as well that'd be nice i mean we have pin to drive but having authentication on a second level would be really nice too i'm starting to use it more and more now on my on, uh, on a lot of the services that i do by the way if you're a member of our forum you can actually turn that on if you'd like just go into your account settings and go under two-factor authentication and you can enable that so when you come back and log into the site, um, you can supply a password, and then our system will also send you some kind of email or a code or whatever so you can log in. So that's up to you if you want to turn that on. So anyway, so apparently that's coming. It's uh, final stages. So uh, again, no time frame given on that. So that's Elon time, right? Let's see here. What else we got to talk about? Some more Elon tweets. Um, right. This week... Was it this week or late last week? Anyways, the invites um, started going out for the Tesla shareholder meeting slash uh, battery day invites. And the email that went out had this really wacky graphic. Now, for those of you on YouTube here, I'll put up the graphic. You guys can see it. And much like invites that go out from Apple, there's been a lot of speculation as to what the heck are we looking at at this graphic? Uh, Because it looks like, like foam or little dots or people were trying to figure out what the heck this was. And everybody was speculating. Well, someone finally got Elon's attention on Twitter. Um, he basically said there was nothing to look at, but he did clarify. Uh, Elon was saying, let me bring up the tweet here so you guys can see it here. It's basically, it's, it's actually nothing. I was surprised to hear that they're across the road. Actually, he's talking about um, the other uh, company across the, uh, um, across the way. Did I have the right tweet here in front of me? <laughs> I guess I do. Maybe I don't have the right tweet. <laughs> no, here it is. Here it is. Um, Yes, our friends at uh, Whole Mars Catalog had asked Elon, got his attention, here it is. Um, He said, we were too obtuse for our own good, uh, although I think it works aesthetically. Those are folded over current collectors at the bottom and the top of the cell, which are important, but I don't want to jump the gun on uh, September 22nd. So obviously this indeed has something to do with the new cells, um, but now we have the actual truth to that, so... Not that it matters all that much, but everybody's asking, what the hell is this thing? All right. Let me go back to what we were talking about here, which brings us to the second part about this. Um, There was speculation going around that uh, Tesla might have partnered or bought another company, namely this company called Amprius. Um, Now, and I don't have a video right here, but uh, Tesla's been doing a lot of work at their... um, Cato Road facility uh, in preparation for this day where they're going to be putting their Roadrunner production cell pilot line. And uh, man, there's a ton of construction going on there. I wish I had the video to show you. But anyways, 
um, there's a company uh, right next door, literally next door, called Amprius, and they have battery cells. Now, of course, there was a lot of talk because the CEO was saying, oh, I have a Model S, and someday I hope my batteries are in the Model S. And people were looking at this image and trying to put two and two together. Anyway, so Elon finally got to Twitter and said this. Um, basically nothing. I was surprised to hear they're across the road. Adding silicon to carbon anode makes sense. We already do. Question is, what is the ratio of silicon to carbon and what shape? Silicon expands like crazy during discharge and comes apart, so life cycle is usually bad. So, anyways, putting that one to bed. Now, what, uh, what Elon's talking about is, is this um, anode material. Um, silicon, and, and I don't know, Ian, were you at the um, that one seminar? Remember uh, about three years ago, we went to the seminar in Ottawa on Electromobility, Electromobility Canada? Okay, one of the sessions were some battery researchers from one of the universities, and they were talking about, and I wanted to attend that, and I did, uh, because battery stuff really turns my propeller. Anyways, make a long story short, they were talking about um, one of the, silicon is actually better at holding energy than carbon is, but the problem is it has a physical property where when you uh, charge it, discharge it, it expands up to 300% and it doesn't go, come back. It actually cracks. Um, now, most battery companies have been adding silicon to the anode, but only in small, minute amounts, just to give them a little tiny extra boost. But you can't add too much because now, you, you know, you, you, you break the ability of the, of, the, of the battery to come back and actually retain a charge and stuff. So anyways, too much silicon is a bad thing. So anyways, this image is, uh, Amprius does, sorry to jump around here, but Amprius does a lot of things with the silicon nanowires. So everybody was reading, oh, th these are silicon nanowires, Amprius is right next door, maybe they bought the company. So anyways, that's where this whole thing came about. Elon finally quashing it, saying, no, no, that's that's not happening. So anyways, um, lots of stuff coming out on battery days, just, uh, you know, basically uh, a little less than a month away. So looking forward to that. Any thoughts? <laughs> I know battery stuff. It's like that—that's definitely your your propeller hat stuff, there, Trev. I'm I'm <laughs> not talking about sodium-filled exhaust valves. That's that's unfortunately showing my age. I I still it's the one place I haven't been able to get to. You know, like the battery, the the motor and inverter technology, and all that stuff. I'm pretty much on board with the cooling systems, but yeah, the the that's that's a dark black hole battery technology i hope to learn a lot on the 22nd i'm looking I'm, forward you know like, i get a little bit of it but like not the deep it's deep really dark. technical and i i'm not going to say here and say well I'm, I'm a chemist and i know everything i don't but i find it yeah. fascinating to listen to people who really know what they're talking about like uh professor jeff don who's under contract with tesla um He's done several talks, and you can you can look him up on YouTube, and he really gets into a lot of really deep stuff. But there's two takeaways from the contract, or what Jeff Don and his team have done, um, is basically two things. One of them is trying to find the holy grail as far as the electrolyte is concerned. The, that's, the, that's the liquid separator. Now, there's two types of batteries, right? You have the regular battery, and then you have solid state. The only difference between regular and solid state, for the most part, is the electrolyte, right? So Tesla uses a liquid electrolyte. Solid state batteries don't have, electric, um, don't have a, um, a, li a liquid electrolyte. So it's dense, um, not denser, but it's, it's actually safer. There been lots of videos where they take batteries and they cut them and they don't catch on fire. Anyways, um, my understanding from doing and watching a lot of these presentations is that battery degradation is a physical phenomenon. It's a it's an it's a buildup of plaque, if you will, um, that prevents the electric uh, the ion 
ion electrons from traversing and doing their job. And that plaque keeps building up to a point where, I mean, you get more and more degradation. So the goal is to try and find additives to the electrolytes that prevents this uh, plaque buildup, if you will. So Jeff's team has been working on trying to find the holy grail. And they did publish a white paper last year where basically they said, I think we found the holy grail. Uh, the Coulombic efficiency, he will say that a lot in his, uh, in his, um, in his papers and his presentation. It's, it's fascinating to listen to. But anyways, I think they found the Holy Grail. And if it goes into production with these new batteries, I'm hoping that he will be there to talk about that. The, the other part of what he's been working on, and this is something I don't really talk about a lot, is that he's developed these very, very sophisticated and very sensitive uh, measuring equipment um, that can do rapid testing of battery te uh, of battery coulombic efficiency um, that would normally take years and years and years to do, and they can do it in literally weeks or months. And that's part of the, why Tesla's being, being able to test various batteries and stuff without spending the next 10 years looking at new battery technology. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about battery technology over the last few years that's in a constant state of change. Like for a while there, the last three years, I mean, you couldn't talk about, you couldn't go on the internet without hearing somebody every week talking about, we have a new battery breakthrough. Okay, fine. That's one thing in the lab, but you got to put it in production. Tesla's really focused on getting the cost down. So now that they're at the point of reducing the cost, now they can start looking at new technologies and this is where it's coming in. But anyways, the bottom line is that you need to be able to rapidly test the uh, constituents that make up these cells. And you can only really do it if you have efficient equipment. So anyways, that's the bottom line. That's that's what, you know, they don't talk about a lot, but uh, very fascinating stuff. If I can find, if I can remember, <laughs> I'll put a link in one of the, uh, in the video description to one of the videos you guys can watch. It's fascinating stuff, very technical. Don't pretend to understand everything about it, but the guy knows his stuff because he has lots of graphs and he says, we've measured this and we've measured that and here's what everybody else is doing and this is the way we're going. And anyways, I'm hoping at Battery Day that they do very much what they did at the uh, Autonomy Day last April, not this past April, but April of last year where they have the actual people that were responsible for come up yeah. on stage and talk because Jeff is a very well-spoken guy and it'd be very interesting to see his take if he was there. Anyways, that's what I'm hoping. So... I, I hope so. I mean, you know, there was so much good feedback uh, on that one. And I think exactly for that reason that you had everybody who was specializing in each field coming up to talk about it. So I, I hope they follow that same format. Fine Lab has aligned protective coatings that were engineered to protect your Tesla's paint, leather, carpet, plastic and wheels, effectively blocking all those UV rays and environmental factors before they ever get to ruin your brand new baby. Fine Lab offers a complete line of car care products and ceramic coatings for both the do-it-yourselfer and professional detailers. Did we mention we also have the world's first self-healing coating? Check us out at finelab.com, that's spelled F-E-Y-N-L-A-B, to see the science behind the self-healing. Check out our product catalog and click contact us for a free quote from a certified installer in your area. Fine Lab and Tesla, we were meant for each other. Well, that brings us to the end of the stories we have for this week. We will have more later on, but um, we actually went out onto Twitter today and we asked a bunch of you if you wanted to submit some questions. Q&A is one of, the fa one of the nicest things we like to do here on the show, and you guys came out in spades. So uh, we have some questions, and uh, let's dive in here and get you guys to answer some of this stuff. So first question comes from our friend Segovia. Oh, by the way, on the forum, I, I did make through with my promise from the last podcast 
and actually added the uh, location. So now we know where people are coming from. It gives us context. So because many yes. times people would submit us a question, we're like, okay, you're asking me about something, but you didn't tell me where you're from. So anyways, we're going to do that from now on. <laughs> So anyways, um, this gentleman's from uh, Orlando. He says, what information not like, uh, not widely known uh, would, would first-time Tesla buyers know? Did I read that right? What information not widely known should first-time Tesla buyers know? Yes, okay, that, that explains it. Should. Hmm. You know, that's the problem. Once you've been a long-time Tesla owner, it's like, well, it's all pretty obvious, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But no, there's there's a few. Uh, EC, can you think of something off the top of your head? Uh-oh. Eric, you're, you're either muted well, or... There we go. There I, we will, I will tell you delay from my experience. Yeah. Yeah, there's something weird going on. I I, um, I hope we can fix this in post. Yes, exactly. Your, your image is freezing. Your audio is perfect, but we're... Yeah, you're... he's way out of sync. Let me, let me be right back. Okay. I would just... All right. As long as the audio is fine. We're yeah, good. there we go. That works better. Okay, so I will tell you yep. that the the interesting thing that I've encountered with a lot of novice owners is there's a few basic principles of Tesla ownership or really EV ownership in general that they don't know. So one of the things is really understand charging. Yeah. Because ideally, that's mm -hmm. how you're yeah. fueling your vehicles through electricity. A lot of owners who don't understand, for example, how the high-powered wall connector works. They don't know um, how to charge more than one Tesla at a time. So there's a lot of different things when it comes to just if you're new to electric vehicles or, you know, you're maybe getting a second Tesla. Understand how to charge where you live is a huge thing that people don't really take into consideration <clears throat> before they buy their car. Um, the second thing that I believe is really not widely known for a lot of owners is just overall how to maintain your car. Um, you know, it's, it, it's electric vehicles by and large still drive like any other car. You get in, you put a shifter, you go. Um, but once you're on the road, there's a lot of things you have to kind of keep in mind. Um, we talk a lot in the show about, you know, uh, having your display setting show percentage versus mileage. Um, you know, <laughs> the, the thing that I think a lot of people get stuck on is, well, how far does my car go? And, and we, we get that question asked a lot, which is, you know, my car no longer does X range or, you know, my, you know, what's, what's the big deal? I'm telling you with battery day coming up, it'll be great if we have vehicles that can easily do 500 miles in a year. We know that uh, Lucid just was in the news this week um, for having a 113 kilowatt battery pack and being able to produce 500 miles on a charge. But with every one of those EPA numbers, um, it doesn't really matter what the efficiency is of that car, because even though the Model 3 long range, which was what I have, is the most efficient model, uh, efficient Tesla that's on the road, I'm never getting the 310 that it said I was going to get when I bought mm -hmm. the car. Because even if you're charging to 100%, you're not going from the full 310 down to zero. You will always charge at some point, just like a gas car. I had a 10-gallon Honda Fit. <laughs> you're, you're, you, you can go far, but you're always going to refuel the car. So I, I think it's not just a matter of you know what it takes to get the car. It's You have to understand the true ownership of the vehicle. What will your daily charging and driving experiences be like to then understand when to charge, how to charge, um, you know, do you have to charge every day? Like, so just some of that stuff I think is crucial, especially if you live in, an, in a development where you can't install your own charger. 
Because mm-hmm. we even get asked that. If I live in an apartment or a condo or a rental, how do I do charging? That, I think, is really understated, just how significant that is to know before you buy your car. Yeah, I would I would agree with that in the sense that, I mean, the major difference between that is how you fuel the vehicle. So in light of that, I would probably add uh, supercharger etiquette. I think that's... Oh, I'm so happy. I was just going to go there. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm stall. sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to steal your thunder there, Ian, but supercharging oh. etiquette is the number one thing that I see a lot of newbies are not not aware of and let's face it i mean the tesla personnel is not really something that they cover i don't i don't, i've never heard any of the tesla delivery people salespeople even talk about how that actually works now aside from the fact that we have a lot of level or uh, or uh, version three superchargers now where you don't have to listen to what i'm going about to tell you right now but um Superchargers, if you go to a cabinet and they're labeled 1A, 1B, 2A, 2B, that type of thing, um, when you come to one of those those chargers, those chargers are actually shared. They have one charger that does two cabinets, and whoever comes first gets the majority of the energy. If you plug into one, uh, 1B, somebody's already plugged into 1A, they've been there longer, they're going to get the majority of the, uh, of the energy um, until things kind of like level off. Like he needs less energy, then yours will come up. If you really, if you're really, um, crucial on time find another cabinet that's not being used or shared with somebody mm-hmm. else so if somebody's in 1a but nobody's in 1 1b but it, but 2a is open and nobody's in 2b go take either one of those twos mm-hmm. like skip a charger that's the number one thing because you'll get all of that energy just for yourself and i was going to say never mind i mean you might have all the time in the world but the person who's on 1a might not they might be in a hurry so be be Who nice where they Give- are. They're over exactly. the Chipotle, right? So, exactly, they could be like counting down the seconds till they're ready to go, you know. And uh, yeah, if if you steal half their current, you know, it's like why? And, and so. the easy way to tell what's a version two supercharger and version three, the version threes don't have the labels at the bottom. They're not labeled one A, two B, or anything like that. They're just they have no labels. Yeah, and if you can then, get up close to it, the cable's half the thickness, so it's only right. about that big. As opposed to the, you know, super yeah, the original like supercharger. Hard, no, if it looks like a, a if it looks like a great big fat snake, that's a version two. Correct. Yeah. All right. Um, right. Moving on. Let's go on here. We got lots of questions here tonight. Next question comes from uh, Satin Gray Tesla. What would you like to see in version eleven? Long time watcher. Thanks, guys. Well, I appreciate the uh, question. Um, this one's really cool. Now, what he's talking about here is version eleven of the firmware. Right now, we're in version ten. Um, and I thought about this question when it first came in, and I went and, and dug up some pictures, and I think this is something we should have a talk about. I think there's a possibility that, you know, he's asking, what would you like to see and what do you expect? So <laughs> um, as far as what I would like to, what do I expect? I don't know. What I would like to see or is possibly what we've probably already seen what they did in this, uh, um, on the Cybertruck. Now... Not everybody was at the reveal event, and not everybody got a chance to see all the YouTube videos, uh, but the Cybertruck not only does it have a 17-inch horizontal screen, single screen, like the Model 3, uh, Tesla was running different graphics on it. Now, for those of you on YouTube, I'm going to bring up a picture here or a screenshot. Friends, uh, courtesy of my friend Derek at the uh, Tesla Inventory YouTube channel, took these pictures. And it has a marked different, uh, it's more of a flat design, which is all the rage right now on websites. So on the Cybertruck, because of the length of the screen, they've moved most of the controls that are along the bottom to the left-hand side. Cybertruck does not have a drive stock. Now, 
whether that shows up in production or not, I don't know. But anyways, they were changing gears on the screen. How you change the gears when you're rebooting the screen, <laughs> I have no idea. But anyways, so this is one picture. And uh, you can see here the navigation looks different. It's more of like a flat 3D kind of look. It's really quite quite neat. Uh, another screenshot of some of the settings on the Cybertruck. So anyways, I don't expect that many of the controls in the Cybertruck were probably actually live and actually running at this point. But I think there's a possibility that we're looking at a a different design language um, coming in version 11 that could be very close to what they did on the Cybertruck. Now, I, I can't uh, can't confirm that, but that is something that I think that they may be looking at, but we'll see what uh, what transpires. Any thoughts on your end, guys? What would you like to see? Version 11? <sighs> More games, but I don't use the I, games. You know what? I, I frankly don't care about games. Yeah, neither do I. Um... I think I think the the big thing I'd like to see is more safety features uh, that people can set up on their vehicle. Uh, that'd be kind of a nice thing. Um, it'd be nice to have uh, profiles for your front passenger that you can store. That is something that supposedly that, come that would be something nice. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I mean, it also would be kind of cool if you had, for example, um, let's say you have a. a if you have if you have if you're plugged in by USB cable, say in the back row, you don't have to actually set up your phone by Bluetooth, but you can actually connect to the media uh, through through the USB C. That'd be kind of a nice some kind of kind integration like, like that. CarPlay or something that people have been asking for. Kind of, because um, like it, it'd be it'd be cool. Like like for example, if you're a rideshare and you're in the back, but you don't want to set up Bluetooth in the car, if you just plug in a cable, now yeah. you can play your music in the car as mm. a as a passenger. So yeah, okay. I don't know. I, it's it's hard to say what because oftentimes you don't know what you need until you get it. Um, I couldn't I couldn't imagine being somebody at Apple uh, or Tesla and think about like what are things that people need that they don't have that they don't they, they don't know that they need. I, I'm sure Tesla has a long laundry list of things they want to add, but they're not disclosing it. Well, but there's also people that submit ideas and think, oh, you know, Elon, you should do this for my car. Again, bombarding him on Twitter at 2.30 <laughs> in the morning. Yep. Um, but I also feel like sometimes the things that people ask are unique to them. There's not a lot of uh, – I would think more often than not, the people who are submitting ideas, it's it's just – it's for themselves. It's not a, a widespread request. Um, but that being said, you know, I, I think whatever thoughts are going into V11 – uh, I'm sure they've thought long and hard about it, but it would not surprise me with everything going on if that didn't come out until next year. I mean, normally, like we were talking around this time last year, V10 was imminent. It was it was a matter of days, if not weeks, away. Mm -hmm. um, I, I there there's been nothing, nothing on the yeah. radar about V11. Yeah. So it it would not surprise me if right now that's on the back burner for them because the shutdown earlier is here at Fremont, trying yeah. to get Model Ys off the factory. Um, you know, Roadster, Semi, Austin, Berlin, like there's just so much on their plate. It right now V10 is working great. There's no major bugs. We we know we're getting bug releases uh, from time to time and some minor improvements. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, if, v, if V11 comes out this time next year, that's okay. It gives them more time to figure out what they want I to do. I think the one area that I would really like to see a lot of work in is the media player. It, it's, it's still, there's so many little things. Well, there, there, there were improvements to, was it the Spotify play? No, there was improvements to Sirius XM. I don't have, you can't do Sirius for, XM in the car. There are no antennas for that. Well, was it? Am I thinking Spotify or Sirius? I thought there were some that had a recent update. Well, for that. I'll give you an example. I mean, I got a lot of music in my USB key or my USB 
SSD in my car. Got a lot of music on there. When you go and tap on USB and you scroll through the list, you pick a song or an album or whatever, and you go back, it goes back to the major list. It doesn't remember your position. I have a really long list, and it always goes mm -hmm. back. It doesn't remember. Like, fix it. Um, little things like that. I mean, sometimes I have to reboot the whole damn computer because Spotify stops responding or TuneIn mm -hmm. doesn't play the latest podcast. It's, like, it shouldn't be like that. I mean, I think, like, for me, my opinion, the, the, the media player portion of the car is the buggiest. I know a lot of people mm. want uh, waypoints. Like, add waypoints to the navigation. Like... Yeah, that would be huge. And Elon doesn't seem to be into that. I mean, every time someone's asked, uh, didn't Raphael get his yeah, attention? Yeah, I was just about to recently? say, Raphael's made a very good case online and explained it in very good detail as to why that's important. Yeah. I don't think Elon gets yeah. it. Hmm. No. But I, mean, no, I, I, I also sort of in the middle of that, like I don't, I don't, I don't disregard what, what Raphael's points are. I also don't find it as major a need as people think it is. Um, again, it, there's to each their own what their their preferences well, may there's, be. There's I just know this for everything, but still, right? But I mean, ideally, if there's if there's anything we've learned about the habits of most Tesla drivers, if you have to stop and charge somewhere, let's say that's you know you're you're going from A to B and you have to stop and charge and stuff. Um, ideally, those are waypoints to some extent. But if you're making multiple stops, if the ultimate destination is like F. And you're going from like home to work to the grocery store to such and such. I, to me, it's like, so what harm is there? Like you're spending as much time entering what every place you're trying to get to versus just you get in your car, put your destination and you go. Um, you know, how, how many waypoints are enough? Is it two? Is it four? Is it 10? Well, that's yet to be uh, determined. So. But there are some case points where somebody needs to go for a long drive, may not have chargers along the way or don't know where they are and would like to be able to know that do I have enough charge or do I need to? And having waypoints helps right. with that. But the, yeah. car, but, the car does, but the car right now does that calculation. I'm still confused of why people think there's a need for I something know, but different. But if you need to make one more than one stop and you're out in the boonies, how do you mm -hmm. calculate for yeah, that? Three different cities, so. and you want to know what the total route situation is, yeah. like how much charge you need yeah, along the whole there, way. Uh, I, I, I still, I still think if you know where you're going to end up going, I, I, it's no, it's is the argument the same for people who drive a gas car? Like you're still going to figure out where a gas station is. Well, I understand we're still early days, Eric. I mean, there, there are times no, people it, need I, to charge, you know. Sure, and I, and I'm not I'm not disputing any of the stuff you guys are saying is true. I'm just saying I would think that you're if you're an owner of a vehicle, you have to be smart enough to you have you have to be to know if where I'm going is okay. So X let's put that on the list for the very first question we had tonight. What information not widely known? Tesla by charging. Get you learn it. Put no, no, your... but, but but I mean if if you know, look. I generally know how far something is from me. For example, let's say I wanted to go to Kennedy Space Center right now. Bad idea because I can't get in, but let's just say that I did. Yeah, yeah. I know how far it is from where I'm at in West Palm Beach. I would already know if my car is at 78% state of charge, I'm going to have to charge at some point. Now, even if I didn't put the navigation in my car to say, hey, I want to go to Kennedy Space Center's visitor center, I know I have to charge because I know at 80, you know, 78, 80% SOC, that's not enough to cover the 200 plus miles I have to drive in the car. So yes, with time, you kind of learn that. But I would think that mm -hmm. most people, if they know, especially in remote locations, if you're already driving, say 60 miles until you exit your remote area, and then you want to go to another point, you know, once you're in, in uh, more rural, I'm sorry, more urban areas, uh, then yeah, you sort of plan for that. But I mean, ideally, if I just say, 
you know, tap navigation, go here. The mm. car will know. Yeah, you have to charge before you get there, right. even if it is on a supercharger. That's okay, obviously where it wants to Let's go not first. beat a dead horse here. Ian, any okay. thoughts on what you would like to see in version 11 so we can move on? I was I, I'm just going to throw it in there because it was the ultimate case where I wanted it was when we did the cross Canada trip, the lightning run. And it kept trying to route us through the U.S. because that was the shortest uh, route. And I was yeah. like, no. You know, that would have been a great time to have multiple waypoints. Yeah, that's in the true. Like, that, yeah. okay. We had to use a better route planner right. just for still, that very reason. All right, you're still beating that Let horse. Let go. Let go. <laughs> so right. uh, I only have one wish, mm-hmm. and it's not my two friends. It's that, and this could be added any time. You don't need a, a major rework for V11. And uh, I've, I've pinged Elon on this, and I, I get dead air. Like, he just not doesn't respond Welcome on it. To but the I would love to have, I would love to have the, the accelerator calibration that we have in track mode compared to sport uh, in, in the regular accelerator or regular driving mode is so far superior. It's so much more progressive. It makes the car so much um, easier to drive. And whether you're just trying to be gentle accelerating with passengers or if you're really trying to like max the car's performance out, you know, going around an on-ramp and adjust your throttle position, it's way better. Now, I mean, the sport setting is fun. Like, you know, when you're leaving the stoplight and woo, the car feels really, really uh, peppy and responsive. Mm-hmm. But I find it a uh, two hair trigger for a lot of driving situations. It would be nice to have something in between that and chill mode. I mean, chill mode is nice, but then it caps the car 200 horsepower. So you're, you're very limited in how fast the car goes. The track mode, if for those of you who don't have the setting or have never tried it, it's, it's amazing. It's mental. It's so well- yeah, well, because it's actually, it, it's counterintuitive. It's like it's designed for use on the track, but it actually is less sensitive initially. And it's designed so that you can feather the throttle in and out to adjust the car's attitude in the corner. You have way better control, particularly in the snow. It's a far better setting to be able to control the car. And I, I don't understand why we just couldn't have like a middle position on the slider, you know, like chill, make track mode standard. And then make sport, you know, if you want to go banzai all and impress your friends, you can have sport mode. It's a perfect location to put the, the track mode button right there, rather than yet another setting buried somewhere else. But, but that's a, that's another discussion. Yeah. And I mean, this does I, I don't want this just for track mode cars. I want this for all cars. I to, Whatever that calibration is that, they, mm-hmm. that they've, they've set up for the accelerator in, in the track mode is the best one there is for driving the car day to day. And for us with P3Ds, we, we need an extra ridiculous mode. Just Just give us a little more on the bottom end. <laughs> all right enough of that. let's move on we're getting more questions to talk about here this one comes from our friend rom at elon accessories uh he says since tesla is no will no longer partner i don't think there's a partnership with amprius anyways uh do you think tesla's in, in internal battery research and developments continue to give them the edge given the recent lucid news well, uh, battery day is coming. We will we'll, we'll, we'll know exactly what Tesla is actually working on. I do believe so. Um, you have to remember, uh, my understanding is Lucid is not doing any of their own battery R&D. They are just buying pretty much whatever. Sam, I think Samsung SDI is where they're buying their cells from. They do use the same cylindrical 2170 form factor that Tesla does. Now, they're not buying Panasonic necessarily. I think they have a contract with Samsung. But anyways, different chemistry, different companies, they all do their own thing. Like the chemistry between LG, Samsung, and Panasonic are not the same. Uh, they're all automotive use in, in those cases for those cells. But um, anyways, yeah, I do believe that... Um, Tesla's still going to have an upper edge in a lot of ways because they're doing their own, I mean, the Roadrunner project that they're going to unveil and the technology that they developed to build their own cells and do their own chemistry and everything. Uh, they're the only company that's going top down. 
or bottom up, depending which way you look at it. So everybody else is buying off the shelf. So I think, I think with Lucid, they've done some really great work uh, with 113 kilowatt hours, uh, getting 517 EPA rated miles. Uh, I think that's probably has a lot to do with power electronics and their motors, not so much with the cells. Uh, with Tesla, it's, it's all of the above. So any thoughts, guys? Crickets. <laughs> well, my my feeling about battery technology, and I, I think I've had a long-standing position on this for quite some time with Tesla. Because they've been advancing these technologies for as long as they have been, and really threading the needle on so many different things, um, and and I and I still you know look at their large-scale solutions, power walls, the vehicles, everything. Like it's it's all about energy storage. What they've been able to do in the better part of a decade is absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. And so much of what they they are as a company is because of energy storage. Um, and, you know, the idea that there is now a, a Tesla Model S that they're testing that can do 400, was it 402 uh, is the rating on that one? Um, yeah. I mean, think about where we were five years ago. Mm -hmm. Five years ago. You couldn't fathom how many vehicles on the road could even do 200. And now already we're looking at vehicles that are going to eclipse 400. Well, the minimum as far now, as Elon's considered going forward is 300. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so and you know, when, when EVs first came out, you couldn't do 100 miles on those, on those vehicles. So to me, this is where the edge lies with them. And I understand Lucid came out with incredible technology updates this week. You know, how, how quickly they come to market, all those things are certainly different questions. But... If somebody says, do you think they still have the edge? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, just, yeah. It's like asking, does Apple have the edge on cell phones? Yes, they do. Um, you know, because by the time you go stir crazy getting the next one, they're already working on the next yeah. phone coming yeah. out. You know, they're, they're Apple's chip technology is far and away. I mean, look, they're, they're saying we're, we're taking everything in-house. Tesla's doing the exact – they're yeah. taking Apple's playbook and doing the exact same thing. We're going to bring it all in-house because we can do it faster. We have the, we have the staff. We, you know, we're buying companies. We're bringing in their, their expertise, you know, and that's the thing. So um, – the simple answer is, yeah, I, I don't I don't see them giving this up. Now, the good thing is it brings in challengers uh, to try to do the same thing, which I think is a benefit for everybody. Um, you know, it pushes Tesla to kind of push the envelope even farther, but it also brings in competitors that hopefully will uh, allow their technologies to uh, get into more devices. I mean, how cool would it be, for example, if you have a lot of electric lawn equipment and it's using battery technology from you know, Panasonic or Tesla or something else. Like that's great. That's great. We need we need more of that. We need more more electrified stuff in the grid, energy storage in the grid than we do. You know, gas uh, equipment and that sort of thing. So the more the merrier. Okay, uh, let's move on here. Next question comes from Scott. Let's bring this up. All right. Is there any way to set the default HVAC settings to open all vents without having to adjust the settings every time I get in the car? Um, I think earlier he was saying something about him having a Model Y. Was that true? Was that what I saw earlier? Anyways, and, um, you know, with the latest update with the Model Y and the cars are trying to get more efficient so they don't detect a passenger in the seat, it turns off the passenger side. Um, yeah, 
there's not as many options with tesla giveth sometimes tesla taketh right um just remember scott that um there are many settings that are on a per user profile so if you're finding if you're using uh, easy entry, that's yet another profile. So if you're switching between the two, sometimes I've noticed, especially with autopilot stuff, that um, unless you set your autopilot settings equally between both and you flip between them, because I think it's a safety thing, it would turn off certain features. So this could be the same thing. So if, um, again, we've talked about this many times before, it's kind of our go-to answer, but when you're switching between profiles, be aware that there are changes that are stored that way. So there are times I get in my car, and my wife will approach and because her phone is tied to my car as well i get in the temperature's different and i'm like oh all right profile got to click mine and then the temperature mm -hmm. changes so i would verify that but as far as anything else open all the vents and stuff nothing i mean you know you can tap on the fan icon and you get your ui and you can change direction and speed and recir recirculate and all that other stuff but a lot of that stuff is stored in your profile so i would take a trip there first and just verify and compare it against easy entry that would be the first thing but as far as the other thing that i thought i read earlier was something about you know the passenger vent turning off i don't i don't think that's user selectable yeah i've never seen that and mine's always been on mm. okay now i know the i know the rear seats uh that you can talk on and off uh that's, but if people that's are, manual if, 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 Mm -hmm. yes. yeah, but if, it, if it senses people back there, it will, tur it will turn it's that true. I mean, you have to remember with Tesla's, there's, there are butt sensors, <laughs> a weight sensor, if you will, in every one of the seats. That's how it knows when somebody's not, you know, necessarily plugged in or, you know, buckled in. Uh, but it also does that. So if, the, if it doesn't detect anybody in the rear seats, uh, that rear vent for the AC doesn't come on. You have to go into the UI. Even if somebody's back there and you want it, you still have to go in and... And, and toggle it in, in many cases. Sometimes it comes on. It depends. I think if you have it turned on before and stored in your profile, somebody gets out, comes back in, it does turn back on again. But uh, I'm going to go play with that one now because, yeah, it didn't occur to me at first what he meant by having all the vents open. But, of course, there's the rear. So I assume that's what he's talking about. Now, of course, we know in this with the new system in the Y, you, you might have that the passenger side turns off. But uh, the bigger case would be, yeah, having the rears on. I'm kind of curious as to why you would want them on if you don't have everybody sitting back there. But well, being being that he's from the Southern California desert community, how hot it gets yep. there, you want all your vents yeah. on. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like, and, and it cools down the car faster. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for that question, Scott. I hope it works out for you. But uh, let us know. Feedback. All right. Next question comes from our friend Chala. If an insured Tesla has FSD and the vehicle gets totaled, will insurance cover the cost of FSD? Maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> That's the correct answer. That's actually the right answer. So the trick, the trick to this really, Chala, is um, you want to do a couple of things. Uh, the first is contact your insurance company. Because let's say you took delivery of the vehicle with FSD included. Then it could be that when you get insurance, it will cover that because it came with your vehicle as part of it. It's actually itemized on your vehicle uh, call sheet. However, if you added FSD afterwards, let's say you bought it when it was at $3,000 flash sale for a period of time. Well, when you registered your vehicle and had it insured, it didn't have FSD. You've now since added it. Um, so there's a possibility that uh, you might have to contact your insurance company, let them know you have FSD, and maybe they can get it added to your policy, and therefore it may be covered. So ideally, it's state-by-state, insurer-by-insurer. You have to contact your insurance company. First and foremost, they're the ones that will tell you whether or not it's already in your policy. And if it isn't, if you can add it, and if you can add it, will then be covered. Because in many cases, it's based on blue book value. So if your car is totaled, 
it doesn't matter if you've added autopilot, doesn't matter if you add, uh, if you added uh, FSD, if the book value of the vehicle is less because of those things not being factored in, it, it may not matter. Uh, it may only be worth to you what the blue book value says the day that it, it's uh, totaled. So that's why you want to speak to your insurance company. 100% with Eric said, call your insurance company, talk to yep. them. Mm -hmm. They're the only ones that will make your life miserable or good. So, all right, next question comes from Arvid. It says, a Model 3 performance with factory wheels was lowered using H&R springs, so the wheels are not flush with the body. If I install 14-millimeter spacers, which tires would make the wheels and body flush? Ian! <laughs> this one's right up Ian's alley right there, buddy. Well... Spacers. Yes, indeed. So that's well the, the problem here is because um um arvid is in norway and yeah there's a lot of the eu is much stricter in terms of allow what, what you're allowed to do in terms of modifications to cars and specifically with wheels and tires and spacers and so on so yeah uh if they have um a an approved 14 millimeter spacer that's pretty much all you have to work with if you don't have any choices for other sizes that's unfortunate because the interesting thing about the model 3 body uh, in all of its versions is there's a lot more room in the rear fenders than there is in the front. You can clearly see when they drew the car that it was designed for a staggered setup and uh, eagle-eyed uh, observers who were anticipating the, the launch of the car and we were all on the forums and we we're all talking about the owner's manuals when it all got released, the very first version of the owner's manual showed staggered 19 inch and staggered 20 inch uh, wheels like we saw in the Alpha prototype. Yep. So, um, it kind of came as a surprise when the cars were finally delivered and, and configured that there was only square sizing all the way around. So what I always find is the rear wheels will always look a little too tucked in. No matter what size you're running, the, you know, the rear yeah. go further in the front. So I personally run a five millimeter spacer on the back of mine just to even it out. But ideally, 10 is probably more like 10 or 12 is about what you need to really get the stance right front to rear. So if you ran only a 14 millimeter spacer in the back and none in the front, you'd get close to um, having the stance equal out. That would make the rear protrude slightly more than the front. But if you put 14s all the way around, you're going to run into the same problem. You're, you're basically, your front now with the stock wheel and tire is actually going to be just probably a hair out from the fender edge. It's going to be hella flush, as the kids would like to say. <laughs> so perfectly out there, with just, just poking just very, very slightly. But the rear won't actually still reach the limit. So there's there's the problem. Now, if you want to correct this with tire size, then it's just simply a matter of going up one or two um, sizes in width on the rear. Of course, if you're using the um, if you're if you're going to retain your OE twenty by eight and a half uh, performance wheels, you don't have a lot of options because you would need to go to like uh, a two fifty five thirty would probably be, and I'd have to go and see if that's even allowed on an eight and a half. I don't know that it is. So you could go two forty five thirty five in the rear and keep your two thirty five thirty five fronts. Um, that would that would probably help, but yeah, I, I would say somewhere between a ten and fourteen millimeter spacer in the rear. Uh, would give you about the right stance compared to the front. And then if you want to go further than that, well, you'd need like a 20 millimeter on the rear and then maybe like a, a five or an eight on the front to sort of keep it all all in line. Ian, I is this your dirty talk? I want to know. Is this, is this like <laughs> what you do when someone says talk dirty to me? You're like, yeah. let oh, me tell you about baby. these 19 inch wheels I got. <laughs> That's what yeah. she said. Ian, I got a question for you. 
Um, is there enough um, enough threads on those studs to be able to handle those types of spacers plus the wheels? No. What we're talking about here is these have to be bolt-on adapters at that point. Uh, so this would be the type of spacer that basically bolts in onto the car's studs. And then it has know. its own studs. Exactly. It's got a new set of studs coming out. And you have to be very careful with that type because typically that'll only work with what we call as a cavity back wheel because the studs on the car are around 25, 26 mm -hmm. millimeters long. So if you're only putting a 14 millimeter spacer, <clears throat> you're still going to have about 10 or 12 millimeters of stud poking out from the car. And that has to go somewhere on, on the wheel that you're using. So it's got to have at least that much depth. So there's a little bit of homework to be done when you're trying to set up one of these bolt-on adapters that's you know less than the length of the stud. Once you reach 25 millimeters or an inch, then there's no problem. The original studs are going to disappear underneath. But that starts to get to be a very big spacer for these cars. Um, does that mess with the suspension components to put any more stress on the on the hubs and stuff axles bearings well yeah because you're anytime you push the wheels and tires further out you're doing two things you're going to increase the load on the bearing because basically the the entire thing is a lever right so yep. the further wheel sits out there the more leverage it has on all the suspension components so it will put a little bit extra wear and tear on the ball joints and all those things and primarily the bearings which i don't think are inordinately large on model three i remember in the very very first production cars we saw a few of them failing at fairly low mileages hasn't seemed to happen since so but i, I wouldn't go too hog wild crazy pushing them out there the the other thing i'm more sensitive to is um what's called scrub radius and that is the relationship between the steering wheels in front like where the wheels are positioned relative to the the, the hinge point in your steering like the axis where they steer and if you change that too much you start messing with the steering feel of the car like um Typically, as you push it further and further out, you're going to notice that the car wants to wander a little bit more. You know, it's going to want a tram line, follow those ruts in the road and stuff. Like, it doesn't want to go in a straight line anymore. So that's one of the other reasons I'm not too big on pushing it out. Every car I've ever done modifications on, I find, has a greatly different reaction to this. The Model 3 is pretty good. You know, like, I'm running um, a significantly wider wheel and tire on mine with a 5mm lower offset, and it's okay. It doesn't seem to mind it. Other cars get all up in arms when you try to do that but um there's 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 a practical limit you know in terms of when at some point the car really isn't going to want to stay in a straight line anymore but on, on pestles you can drop it five ten millimeters and they're they're okay with it told you we had the best tire and wheel guy over. it would be very very clear on is people are like well you know the spacers are unsafe because you have the thing bolted to a thing and like oh my god listen the one thing people don't appreciate is the clamping force when you look at the 14 by 1.5 millimeter stud on a tesla when it's torqued to 129 foot pounds times five studs do you know what that works out to give me a guess in pounds how much force is holding the wheel uh, to the hub it's got to be about a 1200 pounds or so right oh you need to go almost an order of magnitude higher oh really really yeah it's about seventy-one thousand pounds oh dude okay so, so the wheel's not going anywhere building and you'll like, nothing left of it but the wheel and the hub will still be one unit they're okay. basically behave like a single piece so i don't get too freaked out about that part but uh your original question is like yeah does it put more strength a little bit more okay. but it, in the range we're talking about here it's not a big deal <sighs> i was wondering when when people do this to their cars is there any concern about warranty issues 
Well, yes. Um, Tesla is very specific. When they um, send a mobile ranger to do service work in your car, or if you bring it to a service center, if you have anything other than the OEM wheels or even lug nuts, they'll have you sign a waiver form saying they're not responsible for anything that happens. So they, right away, it's kind of like anything you do to the car, you know, or if we have a problem servicing it, and I have had a few instances where people came back to me and said, oh, they broke a lug nut or whatever. And well, Hey, you know, you, you have to be careful. That's why I'm a big fan of like trying to use OEM type hardware as much as possible so that you don't run into these types of issues or, you know, mm-hmm. um, do your own service work at that point if it's if it's a concern. Uh, the the laws, though, that govern what you're allowed to do in the aftermarket in North America heavily favor the consumer, though. That's if true. Tesla wants to say your wheels or tires, you know, are responsible for damaging the car in one way, the onus is on them to provide uh, proof that right. that modification caused the failure of component XYZ. So, you know, uh, obviously there's cases where people do really stupid things to their cars and it definitely damages the car and it would be an open and shut case. But if you've done a responsible modification using quality components, you know, they, first of all, I've never seen Tesla object to this. I find overall they're generally pretty good about it. Some car companies are not. But um, yeah, it, the laws in North America tend to favor the consumer if if things are, you know, on the up and up. By the way, if you get a stone chip in your windshield, that's not Tesla's problem. They will not cover that under warranty. If it cracks and there was no impact, that's a different matter. But don't go into Tesla. Don't go to Tesla and ask them to change your windshield because you got a rock chip in it. That's not their ballywick. So anyways. Have you actually heard anybody try to do this? I've had service technicians that are friends of mine who private message me scratching their heads going, why do people feel so entitled about that kind of stuff? I don't get it. That's a beside. All right, moving on. One last question for this podcast, and it comes from our friend Chantel. Are snow tires necessary with all-wheel drive? If so, would you recommend a supplier and a brand in the GTA, greater Toronto area? Should owners purchase new rims for the snow tires, or are the tires swapped with existing rims? Well, this is turning into a real wheel... (laughs) isn't it though i didn't even see that one that must have just Um, i i can answer this one even uh, i don't know um yes you should always have snow tires always whether you have all-wheel drive or otherwise you should always have them yes (laughs) answer is yes 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 exactly Uh, i'm gonna hijack now trev okay go ahead You know, I was an Audi guy for about 20 years, and the Audi community had the most beautiful expression. I'm sure anybody else who is big with all-wheel drive, Subaru guys are the same thing. Four times zero equals zero. zero. So if, you know, if you're not running on the right tires for the season, doesn't matter how many driven wheels you have, they equal zero. So it is critically important in our weather that you have real winter tires. End of story. Yeah. Now, whether you purchase rims or not, that's up to you. I do recommend for ease of swapping and cost you buy a set of rims put them on keep in mind that you know people are not exactly careful when they take tires off a rim sometimes they'll scratch your babies up we all know the tesla wheels are pretty easy to get scratched well there's there's a pretty simple calculation that i use to recommend to people it's like if you're going to keep the car at least three four years it tends to make sense to purchase the extra set of wheels you know because there's lots not to plug our stuff but there's lots of aftermarket choices where you can get a really good quality set of wheels an 18 inch in canada for around 800 eight nine hundred dollars and in the u.s considerably less than that so if you figure up here you're you're paying at least now 100 150 bucks to have your tire switched over in the spring and in the fall do the math on this yeah, after three that's years why, that's why of, yeah 
of changeovers, you know, it winds up making sense to buy the wheels and it's way, way less abuse on your tires because yeah, you do it often enough. Those beads are going to take a beating and eventually you can risk tearing one and getting leaks. And all sorts of other Ian, why do we pay so much for tires up here compared to the U S because we're Canada. God, I hate that excuse. Well, you know, the problem is because everyone answers that. <laughs> no, no, the thing is, we want all the same choices as the American market, right? We're basically. I can go to Buffalo to Wegmans and go yep. to the Jello aisle and buy yep. unbelievable amounts of flavors of Jello. Yes. They have a whole aisle just for Jello. And let me tell you about this, the cereal, the cereal aisle. Because like, I get excited when I see Apple Jacks and Walmart up here. <laughs> No, no, I know. But we're, what, 37 million people here? We're not even as big as the state of California. I know, I know, I know. They have states bigger than our entire country. Mm -hmm. So there's a hell of a difference in the buying power there. So it applies to virtually... California is also the fifth largest economy in the world. Yeah. (laughs) But I wonder, wonder too, is it a matter of just how much is imported? And so those costs are, are now, you know, parlayed onto the consumer. I mean, I would imagine if I'm buying stuff that comes from Canada and is exported to the U.S., it's going to cost you more than buying the comparable part here made in America. Well, at the risk which of hijacking... Hij- which is still more expensive, by the way, than buying something from China. At the, at the risk of hijacking the conversation, do you remember when our dollar was uh, on par, if not better than the U.S. back in 2013, there were many... Uh, television shows exposés whatever talking about i mean because many canadians were going to the u.s to buy uh canadian made cars that were sold cheaper in the u.s than they were up here and uh some of these expose basically finally managed to get some of the car manufacturers to pony up and say hey what gives and i think toyota was the only one that actually came forward and actually basically said we price things for what the market will bear which is a euphemism yeah canada will you'll pay more but, you know, it, it sometimes flips the other way. And I think we've talked about this on the show before. I mean, there's other manufacturers that heavily subvent the exchange rate. Like, I mean, when you look at we're paying, what is it in right now? We're in pretty good position. We're paying about $1.31, $1.32 for a U.S. dollar. Uh, and yet when you when you looked at Volkswagen's pricing in the last years when the exchange rate was around that, like the cars are only about 15 percent more expensive. They're than not they actually you can compare it right now. And I think the last time I checked, I mean, the price delta was maybe a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars between us and the U.S. So okay. there's some yep. heavily amount of foreign exchange hedging going on with the big manufacturers that keeps that in check. Tesla doesn't do that. It's basically U.S. dollars plus exchange plus a little extra for yeah. one, doing business. One Canadian, as, of, as of the time of recording this, one Canadian dollar is 76 U.S. cents. Yep. And you'll pay more when you go to the exchange because that's the bank rate. Yeah. So, well, Of course. Whatever. Well, it was floating at 1.4 something for a while there for, for a bit, so it was getting expensive. Anyways, um, enough about Canadian-U.S. relations. That basis uh, brings us to, <laughs> to the end of the show tonight. I want to uh, say thank you for everybody submitting questions. We really appreciate it. I know it's been a little while, but uh, we're going to get back on this horse and do this podcast at least during uh, the current pandemic situation once every two weeks, unless there's something really late breaking and then we get, we get in on it and, and do it on a weekly basis. I know a lot of you were asking, you guys haven't done podcasts in a while. Well, and there's not a lot of stuff I don't want to get on here and talk about all kinds of other things, right? This is a Tesla thing. So anyways, um, any closing thoughts, guys, before we uh, we sign off? I just want to say I want to thank all of our listeners uh, for sticking through with all this. I know, you know, we're all craving for distractions and we're glad to be part of that, uh, whichever outlet you 
prefer to listen to us or watch us on. Um, we certainly appreciate it. Um, like us, subscribe to the uh, channel on YouTube, uh, join the forum, which is free. Eclipsing now 40,000 members this week, so yeah, way we to go did. there. Yep. Um, so a lot, a lot of big stuff coming on. And, and again, there's just news percolating all the time. And you can even ask uh, questions about your tires and wheels on the forum. So uh, <laughs> like us on iTunes, comment, give us feedback, let us know how we're doing. But uh, most importantly, we hope you're all doing well. And at least uh, we're providing some entertainment to distract you for 90 minutes or so. Yeah, if you want to get a hold of Eric, you can follow him on Twitter. The handle's ECFIX, E-C-F-I-X. How about you, Ian? Well, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ian Pavelko. You can also find me on said Tesla Owners Online forum. Uh, the my handle is Mad Hungarian, and uh, messages are open on both of these platforms. So, do you have any questions? I'm happy to answer those. If you're looking for something in the line of uh, fine uh, Tesla wear, you can go to my little Teespring shop teespring.com and look up Mad Hungarian Evolve Wear, the store, where you will find various iterations of uh, t-shirts and mugs and socks and all sorts of things. And a portion of the profits for those go to um, various um, electromobility concerns, uh, various organizations that promote the cause. Yeah, if you don't want to Google it, I have a link in the video description always to Ian's shop. You can check it out. Now look at Eric holding his mug. Weapon oh, yeah. of mass adoption. What a... <laughs> Right. What a wonderful shirt and product that was. I love mine. So uh, I think we'll have, we'll probably have one more show. If we do another one in two weeks, then uh, we'll, we'll have some more teasing to do because we do, uh, Trevor and I have a very cool project coming up. So uh, stay tuned. Might have something to do with these Schroth racing belts. Yeah, I was asking, you know, you're, you got your, you're, you're strapped into your racing seat there, buddy. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that soon. Uh, well, that leaves me. If you want to follow me, you can go into Twitter and follow Tesla Owners Online. Check out the forum, teslaownersonline.com. Always the best place to go talk about Tesla stuff. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Give us a review on, uh, on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to. And uh, spread the news and give us the love, as they say. I'm just kidding. All right, well, that's it for tonight. Thanks for listening and uh, watching, guys, and we'll see you next time. See you later. Bonsoir, tout le monde.